Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back uh, to the Neil Haley Show slash Author's Corner because I know that our guest has written books as well as been in movies and everything. I first want to welcome my co-host, Frank Fiore. Frank, how are you? I know this guy and I, both Pittsburghers. He lives in L.A., I live everywhere, but I'm in Pittsburgh again. But uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation, Frank, uh, with Richard Rossi. So, Frank, Fiori, uh, Richard Rossi. Richard, how are you? Let's go with the quick summary of your life really quickly, of your movies, acting, writing, and then we'll get into your latest project. Well, um, as you know, being my Pittsburgh friend, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I played in the bars and nightclubs of Pittsburgh as a boy on guitar. Uh, my father was a jazz guitarist. We played in um, the bars and nightclubs there every Friday, Saturday night. Um, I got into the ministry in my young adult years and worked as a minister. And then I uh, kind of journeyed from scripture to script and got into writing creatively. Um, my first film was Sister Amy, the Amy Simple McPherson story about a woman that was an evangelist in uh, Hollywood in the Roaring Twenties who mysteriously vanished at Venice Beach in 1927. And then my second film was about, um, as you know, Neil, um, our beloved uh, hometown hero, Roberto Clemente, to me, the greatest right fielder ever. That's how we we connected because I was so interested because of Jamie and Siobhan and Jamie's killing it, even though he had he had the, the, you know, getting up. But I'm so glad he was able to recover from the, the injury and the way he's recovered. But doing so well in acting and Siobhan is the sweetheart. And that was all oh, how yes. many years ago, I guess 15, 14 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and I, I just reached so. out and I found out about the Clemente film and was part of the whole deal. And, and that's my IMBD right there, Richard. Yeah, so exactly. After, yeah. 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 The Roberto Clemente film starring Jamie Nieto as Roberto. Um, that was, uh, and we were able to premiere it there in Pittsburgh um, on Roberto Clemente's birthday. And my son-in-law, uh, who uh, has worked for the Pirates in the front office there. Uh, we have all these Pirates connections. And then my last film, Canaan Land, um, uh, kind of processed some of my experience in the in the religious world because I played a preacher in that film. Then my current one, I wrote a children's book. I co-wrote a children's book with one of my childhood friends, Kelly Tabor, called Lucy and the Lake Monster. And and it's coming out as a movie later this year. Um, I play a grandpa, and I, I just became a grandfather for the second time, by the way. Um, oh, my gosh. I have two congrats. granddaughters now. But I play a grandfather, and my granddaughter, played by this actor, Emma Pearson, her and I go looking for this sea serpent, Champ, who lives in Lake Champlain. It's a lake that borders um, Champ, uh, Vermont, yeah. New York. So that's the children's book that just came out that we're uh, in post-production on the film. We're dealing with the special effects to put the sea serpent in right now and i've never worked with special effects this much so it's a real real interesting fun process wow good frank questions for actor producer director writer author go well as, as neil said that we uh we have my book trying to get my book cyberkill uh produced into a movie we have a couple of people working with us, the, the, the director and a producer, or the self-producer. But we want to try and get the state produced. So I'm trying to figure out where, where, do, we, where do we raise, uh, excuse me, where do we, where do we uh, go with this? How do we raise the money or get some uh, uh, organization interested behind it? We've been looking at streaming people because they need a lot of content, but we haven't had much luck getting, getting into the streaming uh, people that, to show them to show them the uh, the information that we have, we have a script, we have a screenplay, and we have a director's uh, that that that's kind of temporary holding the director's spot. And uh, so, now where do we go from here? Do you have any, any suggestions? Uh, well, well, you you know, Frank, you're really ahead of ninety percent of the people because you got the script and the director and all those things. Um, so. The old traditional way is you have to find someone to greenlight yourself and you go to these different companies and pitch them, you know, your synopsis and, and, you know, and try to get them to fund it. But if that 
doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're not going to do it. Like you can do it outside the studio system now. Um, like with crowdfunding, um, I've done a lot of crowdfunding on, you know, GoFundMe and Indiegogo and things like that. Um, there's ways to make a film independently. If you don't get a big entity to greenlight you, I always say greenlight yourself because with um, digital cameras and editing on the computer now, um, you can make a film yourself, you know, uh, and make your own movie. So, you know, it sounds like you got a lot of elements in place. Um, I know two things that help sell these things if you're trying to sell it to a bigger entity is uh, is the poster is one thing. Now, I don't even have a poster yet for um, Lucy and the Lake Monster, but we're in post-production. But, but the poster is something that's worth making sure it's really good because sometimes they make decisions based on, like as writers, we think they want, you know, read the whole book, you know, but I find a lot of these people like, I mean, I'm a real reader, you know, I, um, I just saw a book the other day that was my father's favorite uh, from here to eternity. It was made into a film with Frank Sinatra, Burt Lancaster. Um, and, and this was over a thousand pages that I've read this novel. My friends are like, you read that book. But like nowadays, like sometimes things are sold on a poster and a trailer, you know, like if you can, um, possibly shoot and edit a good trailer well not not to interrupt you but yes we created a sizzle reel oh good we spent the money to create the sizzle reel you know went through the whole process local actors all that stuff a good a, a producer here in town mm -hmm. uh, i worked with him and you know it cost about fifty thousand dollars to create the sizzle reel with the hiding wow. and the other stuff I'd so love wow so we have it in fact if you uh uh uh, it's no longer on our site. Uh, I don't know why they took it down, but at any rate, if you go to if you go to cyberkillmovie.com, cyberkillmovie.com, we have a we have a whole explanation of what the movie's about. Oh, that's who's, great. Who, who's involved? That's... We have a, an investor deck uh, through one of the yeah. people involved. You know, so, but like I said, it's, it's kind of stalled. We're just not. And then that's where I could get things rolling, Frank, but I keep trying to get in touch with your guy. Isn't this funny what a podcast can do, Richard? We all are friends and now we're together yeah. and Richard is a guy. So here's the thing, Frank, Richard is connected. So Richard, let's talk really the book really quickly. And then later, if you know, you go to his IMBD, you're going to find out Richard's worked with a lot of major people and he's on red carpets with very famous people. He knows this industry in LA. He's a real LA guy. How, this is this your production company that's going to do the movie, Richard? Uh, yes, yes. Um, we uh, took a big step of faith. I wanted to film it at the lake where the story happens, which is up uh, in Vermont, New York. And I took a step of faith to shoot there. Uh, it took us about a month. Um, I had just had three surgeries and almost died. And my doctor said, you're crazy. You're not strong enough to go shoot a film. But lo and behold, I kind of went by faith. And um, what I didn't think through logistically was was this little town port henry new york it was a town that struggled economically and they make their money in the summer because everyone comes and rents cabins on the lake and everything so i i although it was like a volunteer cast and crew for the most part um uh we still wanted to make sure we housed and and fed everyone well and and the cost we got into i couldn't believe it because you know they jack up the rents in the summer but we got through the thing and we shot it in the summer and now we're in post production and and it's about this guy champ the plesiosaur and um i had a nice bond with the actress emma pearson's her name who played my granddaughter i've always loved kids and and work with kids and uh my my kids tell me you know me being their father was like just like a third kid to play with cuz I have to confess, I wasn't like a real disciplinarian. Uh, you know, they, they said it was more like a Santa Claus figure. But part of that was I was raised very old school. And I think I wanted to swing the pendulum maybe to the other extreme. But so I always got along well with kids and love kids. And um, and so I had a nice bond with the, the actress. And I think that's going to translate on the screen because she plays my granddaughter. Fantastic. Uh, Frank, you're getting... Uh, education today about your film. Any questions for Richard before I got to go, go right into specifically enough, uh, just highlighting, I guess, his biggest accomplishments. So people definitely see this film's going to be really well done, especially what his success rate. But go ahead, Frank. Yeah, well, again, I told you that uh, any help that you could send our way for the cyber kill. And uh, but what were some of the movies that the popular movies that I would recognize that you, that you were in? 
and your credit. Well, I tell you, there's one I just did, um, and you can watch it free if you go to Tubi, T-U-B-I, and put in Canaan Land, C-A-N-A-A-N Land, Canaan Land. That came out about two years ago, and, and Variety and Hollywood Reporter, uh, all the big uh, Hollywood magazines reported we were on the list for best film consideration, and um it's kind of a modern day Elmer Gantry, if, if you uh, possibly remember that film, a 1960 film. It's, I play a con man preacher in that film, and, um, and I fall for a sincere Christian woman, and it starts to get to me, you know, because uh, I'm kind of using her and manipulating things, and she starts, you know, uh, Rebecca Holden's a real lovely actress who plays the leaning lady. She was in that show Night Rider. She played the real pretty mechanic that fixes the kit car for uh, David Hasselhoff, and and we, we have a lot of uh, uh, people in that film that you'd know. Um, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman is in there. And Cindy. I didn't know you had Linda Carter in that. Yeah. And, and Cindy Williams, uh, who passed, uh, was a really a, a lovely person on Laverne and Shirley and uh, different ones that were have cameos in the film like that. Sally Kirkland, um, um, drawing some blank. Oh, Louis Gossett Jr. is in there. Uh, oh, wow. and so, yeah, so it's a real nice film. Uh, that was a, about a couple years ago, but I've, I've acted in uh, quite a few of the TV shows, you'd know. Um, in fact, you know, my, uh, my dad was a Navy man. He was in the Navy eight years in the Korean War. He's buried there in Pittsburgh in the Veterans Cemetery, okay. uh, which I like to go uh, pay my respects to my father when I'm in Pittsburgh. But I was on one of the first shows I was on was this uh, JAG. And, uh, you know, my dad was in the Navy and my, you know, I have an uncle in the Navy and everything. And I didn't, I didn't think through that any of them would see it. You know, I was just trying to hustle and get some work, but I was in an episode where, where I pull up this chest out of the ocean on this boat and on this big pulley. And it was a very physical thing. I actually almost got hurt, but I, I, you know, pull up this pulley and swing in this heavy, looks like a big pirate's chest. And I grapple the thing and pull it down in the boat and we open it up and it, 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 it allegedly shows that FDR knew the Pearl Harbor attack was coming before it happened, you know, oh, wow. it's kind of a conspiracy theory kind of a okay. thing. I'm um, not saying that is the truth or anything, but, <laughs> but so I'm opening this up with the, the, you know, the other seamen and the admiral and everything. And uh, I tell you, my uncles were so excited. They were, we, they say, we saw you on that. They were, you know, it's kind of really exciting for them. Cause like, that's our nephew, you know, it was a real small, blink and you miss it part but it's kind of cool when you're on something that people do know like that you know exactly wow a lot of interesting stuff you got going uh richard best place people can connect with you working they up well um the website for our latest book uh is lucy in the lake monster.com that's a good one it has a lot of um a lot of uh you know stuff on there and how to reach me um let's see um I'm on Facebook, uh, at Rich, you know, Richard Rossi actor, uh, facebook.com slash Richard, I think, I know Richard Rossi Jr. Maybe it is Richard Rossi Jr. Um, the Twitter is champ movie HQ champ is the name of the plesiosaur movie HQ is for headquarters. That's inter Instagram and Twitter is champ movie HQ. Awesome. Such great stuff, man. Great catching up. It's been a lot of time. I, 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 again, I had Rebecca Holden on probably three years ago. Oh, did and you? I had oh. you on probably three years ago because you gave me Rebecca. I don't know if you oh, came okay. on too. Yeah. We yeah. forget oh, yeah. these she, things. We do so many really... interviews and go figure, but I'm we so appreciate glad you had her on. Yeah. She's a lovely person and she was a great leading lady. We became such good friends by working on that film together. And she's so just a great person to talk with too. We always had fun on set talking. We'd always have these deep theological conversations, you know. Appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. God bless you, Neil. All family. right. That was the nice special simulcast of Neil Haley Show and Authors Corner, guys. Take care. Nice meeting Bye. you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in North Carolina. Hope to play a little golf this weekend. But All right. Never... Go figure. Golf, and, it's, and you get to deal with the beautiful weather, and it gets cold and warm in Pittsburgh. Go figure. I miss Texas sometimes. All right. Yeah. Our topic today is more problems with the 401k. Alan, we went over problems with the 401k. So now there are more problems. Please explain well, some there, of these. There, there are. I mean, uh, like uh, uh, you're vesting uh, in these. Uh, there's four of them. I'll go over each one of them. But people, I don't think they're aware. Uh, you know, they're working for these companies and they're not aware about vesting when it comes to their 401k or they, they, they're they aware of it when it's too late. 
Yeah, and it used to be great when we had those unbelievable pensions, especially teachers. Uh, the Diocese of Pittsburgh, when I was a teacher years and years and years ago, I got vested for a pension, which I gave away now, but it's gone. Say bye to it, but I don't know. I don't know it anymore after the divorce, but I had, I was vested based on the number of years I taught, but it was a pension. It was a pension. It was like an, it was annuity. It was guaranteed. These four, these 401ks aren't until you get vested. So kind of explain vesting a little. Well, most people, when they contribute to a 401k, they're, they're, uh, have to be vested to get the entire 100%. And most companies out there, over 50%, say you have to be invest or vested over, over a five-year period. And many of them, if uh, you don't serve out the five years with that same company, you get zero of that uh, co- contribution from your employer. Now, understand this. Uh, that's, that could be absolutely huge for people. but this is a statistic by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The average person changes jobs every 4.1 years. See, that that's that's and that's the problem, right? Because if you don't, what happens to your 401k if you don't get vested? Well, I mean, it's just like the people. I, in fact, I had a client last week. He's telling me how much money that he thought he had in his 401k, but he left his company uh, before he was fully vested. He lost all that with the company he had had uh you know promised him and and invested and he was not aware i mean it was his own fault because he didn't educate himself but that was several thousands of dollars and that's that's killing i mean that that's hard work that you did working in that that job that you lost because you weren't vested oh it's it's terrible i mean and then the other thing too number two is like um the deferred taxes you know Everybody's going on about how well the economy's doing and this and that. That's just not the true economy. Uh, inflation doesn't take into effect the price of food or fuel. And a, the, the gain that we have now with the present administration, even with the stock market ma- reaching new highs, that's only a 6% gain. And, uh, but, but the administration before, when that was going through their stock market, it was a 36% gain. And they don't tell you the whole story like the government. I mean, they spend money like drunken sailors. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. We can send billions of dollars across the nation or across the nation, across the seas, overseas to help people secure their own border, but we can't secure our border. And, uh, and also it's, it's, it's just crazy. They're starting wars that we don't need to be involved in. It, it just goes on and on, but billions and billions of dollars are going overseas where we can't even house our homeless, fix our border problem. With just a portion of what they've sent over fees just to Ukraine, we could have got all the homeless taken care of, found housing for our homeless veterans, improved our veterans' care, and secured our borders. But obviously, that's not what the, the boys in Washington want to do. No, it's definitely not what they want to do and uh, it, we're, what we're dealing with. Can you tell me what is paper wealth? Well, Let's go back a minute to that, that uh, the taxes, because the taxes, yeah. people don't understand. They The taxes alone can consume one third to one half of your retirement. And when you go to to uh, finally you know take your money out of your 401k, you're going to be taxed at whatever the government says the tax rate's going to be. And if you don't think taxes are going to go up, I got swampland in Florida to sell you. Because even even I, with taxes at what there are, Alan, you're paying a lot out when you're losing so much in the market all these years. Let's just say taxes are the same. Still, they kill. The but you know, they said, you know, I asked people. I said, uh, well, I'll go with that over P- paper wealth. I th- people, you know, I ask people all the time, man, you're making a kill in the stock market, aren't you? They said, yeah, I'm making all kinds of money. I said, you're not made anything. That's paper wealth. You don't. You don't make, realize any of that gain until you cash that out. But then when you cash it out, you've got taxes to pay. That that money doesn't belong to you. People don't, People say, well, I got $2 million in my 401k. And I asked him, I said, well, who's it, who else it belongs to? He said, well, no one. There's my name right there at the top of the account. And I said, no, you got a, a partner in this. It's called Uncle Sam. And taxes can consume over 50%, especially if they're a higher tax bracket. Uh, you know, between state tax, AMT tax, oh, yeah. federal taxes, things like that, it just keeps mounting and mounting and mounting. You know, people don't realize the highest tax rate 
Now, this is for the wealthy. I mean, the, the most, uh, the wealthiest. And uh, during World War II, it was at 94%. 94% of anything that people made over $200,000 went to taxes. It's, just- it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, and so that paper wealth, you think you're worth it, but you can't, it's your held no. hostage as he talked about, because you, can't, you, no. you just can't say, okay, well, I've got this. And this is what it kills me. Neil. I see all these advertisements by Goldman Sachs of Lehman brothers and all this. What's your number. If you could, you need this much money in retirement to retire. Well, that's fine. If you've got $5 million in a stock portfolio, that's not guaranteed. You may have $3 million in a year. It depends on what the market does. And, you know, with the N2 money supply being at recession and depression levels. Now, what that is, Neil, is the money that's lent out to the businesses to provide, uh, to produce products for the American people because we're a consumer-based society. And if, if they can't produce products, then we got big problems because uh, it's at recession and depression levels right now. Nobody can get money to produce these products. So the employment's going to start going up again. And here they said, oh, the employment's gone up so much. Well, how many of these illegal aliens are now has jobs? <laughs> they count that stuff. It's crazy. No, not at all. Um, and, and I just start thinking about it. Your money's hostage. Uh, you know, what, Alan, let me ask you, because you're a financial guy. If you invested in a business, right, and that business sold, there you definitely have that value, but you can put it in so many different things. Like, you would probably recommend putting it in a cash value life insurance policy, right? Like, say you bought a business, you you got equity in a business, and that, that business, you could sell your shares. You throw it into something like that. Uh, well, a lot of know, time- here's 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 something I always ask people, especially business owners. I said, "How do you plan to exit your business?" They said, "What are you talking about? What are you going to do when you sell your business?" I said, "Would you rather have a tax deduction, or would you rather pay capital gains tax on that?" And they all say, "Well, I'm a tax deduction. How do you do that, Alan?" I said, "Well, it's not how, but who I know that knows how to do that. That's why I have a team of people that I work with, Neil. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. It's just like, you know, protect yourself." Let's say you have a successful business uh, and your daughter gets married to a bum that you don't like. Protect her, you know, so they get divorced in a couple of years. And now she gets half of, of your business. You've got a lifetime to uh, to develop. Well, listen, that stuff doesn't, you know, with my clients, I'm protecting for all that. It's just uh, and it's like another thing is. Uh, I call it control from the grave because you can do with your, whatever you want to do and through trust that are properly set up to control what happens to your inheritance. You know, mm-hmm. as, cause I've got millionaire clients, well, I don't want, I don't want my, uh, my son to just get millions of dollars. He's got big problems and drugs or whatever. I said, well, uh, there's one thing you can do is set up a you know, certain type of trust. And if he gets any money from the trust, he's got to be drug tested every year. Uh, if he doesn't get a job, then he gets no money, but oh, you'll wow. match anything that he makes on his own. So he, he basically he doubles income if he wants to work. I so mean, there's all kinds of things yeah. you can do. But you need the team of people exactly. uh, to help, especially business owners. I think business owners miss that boat, with, especially when they're looking that they can sell their business. I've heard a lot of people just quit their business instead of selling it, Alan. Yeah. And, th- and that's crazy, right? And they have exactly. uh, an EBITDA and all that. And, oh, I don't want to sell it. I'm just going to let it go and be done with it. And they could have gone to their family. Go figure. Okay. Uh, what about the fees? I know that you have oh. explained this before, and it's very important. It needs to be explained again for 401ks. You know, we just started off with taxes taking half to a third of your income. Well, if fees, a 1% fee over a 30-year period now will reduce your income by one-third. And the average fee in a 401k is 2.99%. So now on that gross figure, they'll have either one-third or one-half of that. That's providing they don't have a market loss. And then taxes are going to take a third to a half of that money. So your, your your money that you're getting from your 401k is not that's not like I said it's paper wealth. You don't know how much money you're going to get. And that's the big thing. And Alan, again, you think out of the box. A lot of people don't think out of the box using this strategy of annuities and cash value life insurance and having a team of people around you. It's a very intelligent way of doing things. 
what can a person with a 401k do in a situation like this? Well, if they're with their company, yeah. Yeah, there's many things they can do, but you know, like I said, Neil, I educate people think outside the box. And I asked them, I said, what if I had a financial vehicle that by my estimation is in a in a class, a, a financial asset and class all of its own? It you can take advantage of our progressive tax system. You turn forever taxable money into never taxable money. You're protected from lawsuits, liens, and judgments. It provides you tax-free income in retirement and before. You become your own bank, uh, borrowing from yourself and paying yourself compound interest and not the financial institution. You're protected from market risk. You're protected from government risk. You're protected from tax risk. You're protected from longevity risk. You're protected from sequence of returns risk. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on. And, uh, and I said, you can also provide a tax-free legacy for your family. And everybody said, well, there's no such product. I said, yes, it is. It's cash value life insurance and properly and uh, properly constructed fixed and fixed indexed annuities because you can get rid of all of those risk in retirement that a stock portfolio, a savings account, a, a real estate investment, or a bond portfolio only compounds because you know wow. your, your yeah. savings account, anything made on it's taxable. And once you send it, it it's not, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, grow. And stock, I mean, the stock portfolio, oh my God, sequence returns risk will decimate your retirement. 100%. Uh, there's no guarantees with that. Uh, you know, like real estate, they're talking a 40% loss in commercial property in the coming months because commercial property is not doing well. And then, you know, bond, if taxes go up, bond prices go down, vice versa. So, you know, cash value life insurance and properly constructed um, fixed and fixed indexed annuities can get rid of all these risks, give you guaranteed income in retirement. And I tell people, you know, I tell them, I said, listen, I'm not going to make you rich, but I'll make sure that you have guaranteed income for life, even if your assets run out. So you're going to live a more healthy, less stressful, happier, and a longer life. And that's what it all is all about. When you go to retirement, you don't need that extra stress of running out of money before you run out of life. Totally. It's it's huge stuff, Alan. And people could contact you by emailing you at strategicwealthnumberzero at gmail.com or call you at 910-551-1046. Uh, new website in development. Uh, this is 2024 is going to be a killer year for, for Alan. There'll be ways to communicate in so many ways. You'll find Alan Porter everywhere on the internet. And when you talk about the guru, when it comes to fi your financial wealth and your retirement, it's Alan Porter. Appreciate it, Alan. I appreciate you, Neil. Thank you. All right. That was the Strategic Wealth Strategy Podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And, you know, when you talk the shows and you get really, really excited, Kim, it's one of your favorite shows, I know. You know, I do. It's like the very first showing I could possibly go to to see the first three episodes of season four. And I, I love The Chosen. I love what you guys are doing. I love both of your characters. Kirk B.R. Waller, you have been in over 170 films. you got to be kidding me. I, I don't know. We're the same age, and I can't imagine that kind of energy to be in that many <laughs> films and TV shows, X-Files, and so much more. You played college football. Man, I don't know who knows that about you, but you played college football and won some yeah. awards, leadership awards, and have done all kinds of things. Welcome to the show, Joey Vahidi. Oh, my word. Joseph, I love your character. It's just amazing. And <laughs> Joey, you've done some great things. You're an earthbender. I think that's pretty amazing. So anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have both of you here. How is season four going for you with the with the big launch? And did you ever expect it to be in theaters? It, it's been remarkable to see the the feedback that we've been getting. I mean, we started off as this indie web series. No one really knew what was going to happen with the show. And then here we are four seasons later about to shoot season five uh, in this coming spring. It's become this global phenomenon. It, it's It's reached over 700 million people. We have people from all different parts of the world telling us about how much they love the show, how they feel they connect to these characters. They feel like they're seeing these stories in a completely different light for the first time. So, you know, as, as a performer and, and just a human being, it's so cool to see the impact that this, this show has had on people. That's awesome. Kirk, same question to you. 
Uh, <clears throat> well, I will say it's strange to see your head the size of a bus when you go to the movie theater itself. That's always uh, very trippy to see. And yeah, I mean, come on. I'm, I'm blown away by the success of the show. And it's a privilege of a lifetime to be a part of something that seems to be having so much genuine impact on people. Like all theatrical, businessy stuff aside, the fact that people are having, it has an effect on their lives. I mean, what a great thing is that? I think we all want to try to do good in this life, right? And so to be a part of something that seems to be doing good, amazing. And the fact that it's in movie theaters and there is a collective experience and that it's doing so well at the box office, I think it's up to 14 million for the first three episodes. Wow. And the next three are starting today. Yeah, isn't that crazy? $14 million, $15 million. It, it, It's great. So it's a, it's a blessing and uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, and they want to put it out in 600 languages, which I think is incredible, very ambitious, but God can kind of do anything because he's kind of cool that way. So, um, Kirk, you play Gaius, and yes, what an interesting character. I think it's so great to have Gaius uh, on the show, to have this balance, because I think so much in life, we think of good guys and bad guys, and nobody thinks they're a bad guy, right? Like, you know, yes. Gaius doesn't realize he's a you know, on the bad guy team, you know, because, you know, it's it's just kind of funny to me. So you kind of play, you know, one foot in each world. And uh, what is what is it like? How do you see the good guy, bad guy thing? Well, I, you know, I don't, you said it so beautifully. I'm so happy to hear you say that. Nobody thinks they're a bad person ever. And you could take the most notorious people in history. Nobody thinks they're bad. Everybody has a reason for why they do what they do. They justify what they do. All of us do from cheating on our taxes to infidelity to whatever. Everybody has a reason that's justified and they stand behind that reason. So nobody thinks they're doing a bad thing. So I think it's the same. That was my approach. You can never judge a character. I know Joey, I, I believe, is the same way. You can't judge the character you play. You have to honor them, step into the shoes. Literally, I'm stepping into the shoes of somebody else. So I need to honor that. I need to respect that. And it's very easy to vilify Rome. Hey, Rome's pretty rocking. They did some amazing things. They did occupy, but they also brought infrastructure and water and medicine and so many great things. The calendar. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you you have to look at things. Hey, Super Bowl, they're still using Roman numerals, just saying. So <laughs> you get you gotta have perspective on this. So I, I think I approach it in 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 that way as as humanly as possible. Now, Joey, is your character a bad guy, a good guy? That's a good question, right? You know, because some people think of him as good and some bad. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, Thomas, I think, has this um this this unfair reputation of, of being called doubting Thomas, you know, right. I don't think I don't think Thomas is a, is a doubter at all. If anything, I think he's someone who who questions, and the reason he questions is because of how much he loves Jesus. I think a lot of people can identify with that. That I don't think anyone ever questions someone that they love or something that they love because they don't care. I think they question because they care so much and they're afraid to lose that. Um, so I, I do think um, doubter is probably not the best phrase for him. And, and and I would say, if anything, he probably, in my opinion, cares about Jesus the most. See, that's an interesting thing. Kim, would you agree to, with that point? I wouldn't, but I haven't gotten the chance to really go through and binge through The Chosen, which is going to take me a long time. But really, that I would think it differently the way I was taught about Thomas, Kim. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love the way Thomas is portrayed, for sure. And I uh, absolutely, and it, even in the Bible, though, he had a moment of doubt. It's not like he was just a doubter. It was just a, a moment of doubt and uh, wanted some proof, right? And But otherwise, he was a faithful follower. And I, I love it that you seem so intimidated by Yasmin's beauty, you know, Rama's beauty and on um, how that dynamic works is so cool. One thing that I love about The Chosen too is that it's so groundbreaking and the way that uh, Dallas has put it together and 
And I think about like his dad with the Left Behind series, that was groundbreaking. And then this, this too is groundbreaking. And um, to uh, put it out there, the life of Jesus in a way that is so human and so incredible. And uh, I just, I love that. And um, uh, Joey, I think I heard a story about uh, when you were first on the set and um, Jesus came over and knocked into you and yeah what was that about yeah so this was this was uh i was only on on set for one week in in season one it was the last week of filming and this is the moment where we were about to film uh thomas and jesus looking at the the urns filled you know and wondering like what are we going to do now that the wine is out they're standing next to each other and i think they're both both standing like this right um before the take this was probably like two in the morning we were we were shooting this and before the take jonathan walked by me and just kind of you know gave me a little nudge on the shoulder and i looked back and he didn't look at me he didn't really acknowledge me or anything but it was it was kind of this unspoken thing where he was kind of saying to me in a way like hey you know i'm coming for you or or whatever it was right or like get get ready um, and you know, that's probably like my second day on set or something like that, but it was, it felt so, it was such a great moment because it was his way of telling me we're teammates, right? We're doing this together. And I think that transfers over to a lot of what you see on, on screen, because in a way, everybody is, is the teammate. All the disciples are this, this team of people who like a sports team, each have their own individual, uh, unique role and job to do. And sometimes that stuff clashes because People feel like someone's not holding up their end of the bargain or what it is. With season four, I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff happening. Um, and I think you're going to start to see people getting really scared uh, oh. because their leader is now doing things that are seriously endangering people. It's no longer just a radical message. It is a radical message to the highest of authorities, and people are taking notice. All right, so season four available in theaters, The Chosen. Appreciate it, guys, worldwide. Uh, appreciate Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Love is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome program Kim Sorrell of Love is. Kim, what's going on? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Uh, everything's great on my end. Neil, nice to see you and nice to meet you, Granger. Granger Smith, everybody who loves country music loves Granger Smith. You've had some great songs. You're a great songwriter, great song singer, and you made a music debut. Or, or not a music, I'm sorry, a movie debut. You started yes. your acting career outside of music videos, I guess. And yes. um, Moonrise is such a good movie. And I felt like when I watched it that that you were feeling it more than a lot of actors would. What was it like for you to shoot Moonrise? Oh, that's interesting that you, I wonder what it was that made you think that um, because I was just uh, nervous and trying not to forget my words. And <laughs> uh, but, but I was very grateful for the opportunity to be there and to portray this character that I felt like it was an important character to to emulate and to get out into the world. And so, yeah, thank you very much. And you'll find out uh, Granger, his character is almost the same as the kind of guy he is in person, Kim. And what I've been blown away when we got to talk the first time is some of the stories that Granger told that heartache and difficulties and challenges and how his faith's gotten through it. And Granger, can you kind of add more to what you talked about before? Because how the your faith really feeds into this character and how you really what you've dealt with in real life spoke to that character yeah it's, it's interesting you say it that way because it's almost like and it's not that you said it wrong it's that maybe if i was a better actor you could say granger is totally different on the screen and this character that he portrays than he is in real life <laughs> but i'm just not good enough to be anybody else but myself in my music or apparently in movies, which is okay. But I, that's because I'm not an actor and I took the role because specifically Neil, because uh, I could relate to this character, you know, um, we, I've experienced um, extreme grief and loss in my life. My wife and I have, and I've lost my father. I've lost a son 
And so to, to portray this character who's lost a wife, even though I don't know what it would be like to lose a wife, I do know what it's like to grieve. And I do know what it's like to hurt and to, to try to find some kind of redemption in a terrible situation. You know, I, I give you more credit than Neil does. I, I don't <laughs> think that that was you. I've watched We're him. messing with you, Neil. <laughs> but but the because the character was so solemn because it's so deep seeped in that grief and that in that moment of grief and having a hard time coming out of grief and but finally does but you had to come out of grief as well like what what is it that helped you or and helped the character come out of grief yeah it was finally finally coming to the realization which the character does as well in the movie uh, that I cannot do it by myself. I cannot uh, manifest some kind of magical universal energy uh, within myself to fix something so deep. Now I could I could manifest that kind of energy to help me run a faster three miles, or I could manifest some kind of energy to help me get a couple extra reps on the bench press. But when you're dealing with something so deep, so so traumatic, there is a point where a human cannot do it without surrendering to his maker and realizing, God, I can't, I, I can't, I've tried, I've done everything I can to fix this and to make this better, but I can't anymore. So I lift my hands to you and I say, I surrender, take this from me. And that's powerful that you can do that, Granger. Not easy, right? It's not easy to let go of all of it and say, it's in your hands now. It's not because especially in an American Western culture, we have an idea that I fix it. I get myself out of it. I'll be fine. What do we always say when, when we're sick and someone says, you doing okay? We always say, I'm fine. I'll be okay. I'll, I will find a way out of this. And, and, and that, is, that is who we are. That's, that is what has built this great country. That kind of mentality has been so fruitful for us to say, okay, you guys, I'm going to handle it. Just let me do it. Let me fix it. But it's been very fruitful for us to an extent, but it also becomes a detriment to us when we put everything on our shoulders and pretend that we could fix the deepest pain in our heart, which is why we could see so much mental health problems that still are just penetrating this country. Yeah, absolutely. And very few of our, our dollars that go into research go into mental health research. Yeah. And we need more. And we need more help. And and we need more people talking about Jesus and, and realizing that, you know, Jesus will help you through a lot of stuff. I watched your video, mm. uh, Me, the Tree, and River. Mm. Oh, my word. I cried. Mm. But it was mm. so profound the way you describe um the correlation between uh moving on uh, i hate the term moving on i lost my husband and moving on doesn't sound right but moving ahead and mm. and the tree losing its leaves uh can you talk about that a little ah uh, yeah i'm so glad you brought that up um because that actually happened to me in therapy my amber and i went to a therapy retreat in Tennessee for grief and loss. And we were with a lot of other fam other other people that had experienced different kinds of grief and loss, whether it was losing a mother or a husband or a child or a sibling or a grandparent. Everyone has experienced grief or will experience grief in their life. If you love, the more you love, the more you will grieve. And so the only alternative to having grief is just not love. And no one wants to do that. So, so we could say the more we love, the more we grieve. And that's okay. That's, that's the evidence of our love. So in therapy, he kept asking me, he said, what, are, what do you want to be for your family? And I said, I want to be a rock. And he said, okay, what does a rock lean on? When, when it's having a hard time, what does a rock lean on? And I couldn't answer that question. And he said, I want to encourage you to think of yourself more as a tree with deep roots you could be a big strong powerful tree but you still move with the wind and your roots are inter intertwined with other roots of other trees and you still shed your leaves and so he said i i want to challenge you to go into the woods in tennessee these beautiful woods in the fall 
was right around Thanksgiving 2019. He said, take a pen and a piece of paper, and I want you to write down a conversation you have with a tree. So I went out there and I, I found the perfect tree deep in the woods. It wasn't the biggest one. It wasn't the smallest one. It wasn't the most majestic, but it was still, uh, it was still, it looked like it had some strength to it. And it was connected to a river. And so I went out there and I thought, what can I, what can I say? How would I, this is kind of ridiculous. How do I write a story to a tree? And so I started the conversation like I would to anybody else. I said, hi, tree, I'm Granger. And the tree said, hi, Granger. And I said, what is it like to be so tall? And the tree said, it's beautiful. I could see, I could see in every direction, but it makes me more vulnerable to storms and wind which could be dangerous. And so I just continued this conversation. And as I went down the list of things I would ask practically to a tree, if a tree could talk, I realized the connection that we all have with this tree. And this isn't some kind of crazy hippie talk. This was just a practical conversation if a tree could talk. And, and I wrote it down. Then I made the video that you're talking about. And um, it, you know, in a lot of ways, that really helped me to understand that we do need to shed our de dead leaves which then becomes the soil that becomes the life that we feed from. And at the very end of the, of the conversation with the tree, I said, well, that's a cool tree, but I've lost my river. What do I do? And the tree ends up saying, shed your dead leaves, every one of them. Don't hold on to the weight, but they're not wasted. No dead leaf is wasted. It goes back into the soil. If you concentrate too much on the river, which gives us life from the bottom, then you lose the chance to stretch upward towards the light. Such a powerful stuff. Tim has wrote a book, and I know your book's coming out soon, Granger. As you said, you're going to come back on my show when your book comes out. But Kim wrote a book called Love Is, and she has a Love Is question for you. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I, after losing my husband, it made me question love like what love is really you know god is love but what does that mean yeah and so i dedicated a year to search for it i used first corinthians 13 as a roadmap love is patient love is kind and yeah. i used uh one word a, a month i focused on to figure out what is love that is patient what is love that is kind i found out things about love that rocked my world and and different than things people are necessarily taught and uh, anyway, you exude love. Your whole family does. Amber, beautiful Amber, just exudes love. What role did love have to do with this? So many couples, after going through what you went through, separate. Like, they they lose that. And it seems like uh, when I see you guys, uh, it's made you stronger rather than yeah. separating you. What what role did love play in in your life? and in, all of that. Yeah, I think um, you're, I can't wait to read your book. That's, that's amazing. And uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, one of the underlying factors of all that on his, on that love, on the biblical love, on God's love, is it's just not self-seeking. And that is such a plague to us as humans. We all deal with it. We all, we all run into it. It's always becomes an obstacle. But when we start to think, I need this. I want this. I want you to treat me this way. I want you to do this. I just want my kids to obey me. I just want my wife to understand me and give me space. I just want my mother to answer the phone and, and deal with whatever I'm about to pour onto her. I just want this traffic to clear so I can go ahead and get to work because I want to get there on time because I don't want my boss. It's just always, I want, I want, I need, I like, I understand. It's always I, I, I. And that's just not what Paul is describing in his letter to the Corinthians about what God's love is. It's selfless. It's not self-seeking. And so in, in it, that is, that is magnified in a tragedy, in a family, when, when, so it would be so easy to blame uh, our loved ones or to 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 need them to give us something so that we could fill up from them instead of serving outward and pouring out that's that's love to pour outward to serve we all know in our lives a grandmother or an older woman 
that has that is vibrant. She's in her 90s and she's just still has this energy. And we look back on her life and go, all she's done is serve, serve, serve. And now look, that has given her life, that's given her longevity, that's given her energy. And then, then we have the other version of someone that just sits on the couch, they can't get out of their pajamas, they're just eating TV dinners, they have no social activity, and they die an early death without serving. There's a direct correlation between that. And Paul's saying that love is not self-seeking. Okay. Powerful, wow. powerful. And the best place, Granger, people can check you out and follow you on social media. But again, Moonrise is available right now on PureFlix and also other places as well, correct? Right. Yeah, as far as I know, you could find, well, first of all, you could find me for sure on any social media, Granger Smith or GrangerSmith.com, including YouTube. But uh, PureFlix is what's holding Moonrise right now um, until, until it gets released to, you could purchase it on Amazon. But right now, PureFlix is the best place to see it. Awesome. We appreciate it, Granger. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Kim. I, I'm so excited to read your book. Yeah, right. thank you. Thank you. All right. That was, again, the Love Is podcast and Neil Haley Show. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Love Is Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Neil, I am doing great. I hope you are, too. And I am very very excited about Rebecca Rogers Nelson and a huge advocate of adoption and adopting foster from the foster care system. And I just admire you so much and what you do and the movie Unbelievable. And so Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Wow. You know, Kim, we talked to some, we talked to the one who the story was on Life Mark and just the blown away story. I'm sure, Rebecca, when you first heard about this and it was going to be made into a film, it just blew you away, right? Because the story is such an amazing story of courage and then also overcoming things. Absolutely. It's, it's so fun to know that this is a true story that it was first a documentary film called I Lived on Parker Avenue, which is David Scotton's true story. Um, and I heard about this audition through a, a mutual actress friend. And she's like, oh, but you've got to audition for this part. It's so cool. It's so you. And so I called my agent and I auditioned and um, then I got a call back. And then it's kind of like this where you're kind of seeing the faces, except for it's a little surreal because it's Kirk Cameron and Alex Kendrick and Stephen Kendrick and Kevin Peoples, the director. And they said, Rebecca, we we really like your performance. We think that you're really right for the part of Susan, but we have to know, are you okay with the concept of adoption? You know, uh, a, a pro-family story. And I started crying. I'm like, yes, I'm so okay with it because four of my five kids are adopted. So this is a part that's really close to my heart and close to my mission and my passion. And for those two to come together in such a beautiful way is kind of phenomenal. Yeah, that is amazing that uh, you didn't even know about it when you, when you, and then you're sitting there with everybody and finding out I would have bawled like a baby too. I'm getting teary just thinking about it, but it is, your story is amazing. Your story with your kids and are, are just three of them siblings or? There's, I have sort of two adoption stories. One is a sibling set of three, and then the other is a more recent um, adoption um, from almost four years ago. My my little my little Adelaide will be four um, in a, in a couple of weeks. So yeah, wow, yeah. To stick with the mom and have those three kids like that alone had to be quite an adventure. Yes, it certainly was. And I think what's what's really interesting about adoption is every story is different. Every story is a journey. And when I hear Kirk and Chelsea, I'm just so inspired by them because Chelsea was adopted. And the idea that they knew going into their marriage that they wanted to adopt. And that's that's so beautiful. In fact, they adopted four children and then they had their natural born 
two after that. So for my husband and I, not so noble. We we wanted to have a dog and a, a boy and a girl and, you know, just sort of like the white picket fence. Well, after we had our, our little boy, um, we had two miscarriages back to back. And it became very clear that if we were going to grow our family, it was going to be through adoption. So we began doing the things, you know, Googling Thailand and kind of going all over to figure out where our next steps were. And some friends of ours said, what about the foster care system? And we're like, is that a thing? What? Um, we were living in Los Angeles at the time. And they said, yeah, it's a thing. And there's a seminar this Saturday. Why don't you go? So we went to the se seminar. It's an eight hour seminar and they freak you out because they need to tell you about all the possible things that could happen. And so we came home and my husband and I are like, well, we're not doing that. That's too scary. Um, well, four days later, we got called with a placement for a little guy. And so we had to really pray and say, okay, God, what are you doing with this? And my husband's like, you know what? I, I've got to really realize that God's got this. And, and in fact, we were um, talking with some friends of ours who'd also adopted. And they said, don't you think that God loves Ben as much as he loves you. Our, our birth son, Ben, was two years old at the time. And a lot of the fear is that you'll get a, a placement and then that placement, that child will go back to, you know, an uncle or whatever. And so when we heard that, we realized it was true that, that God had a plan for Ben as well as he had a plan for us. And so we just opened up our hands and said, all right, what's the next step? So we got this little guy, Anthony, at 18 months old, and he and Ben became, I mean, we have a, a picture of them hugging from the very first day we brought home Anthony. It's just beautiful. Four months later, birth mom gives birth to a little girl. So we brought home a one-day-old baby girl after that. A year later, birth mom got pregnant again with another little girl. So my husband and I went from a little family of three to a family of six, four children, five and under. Wow. Oh, my word. Yeah. And Kim, can you believe this? And I'm just going to go to Kim and I know Kim will have the next question. How, do, how does this happen, right? Kim, and you heard the story of David when we interviewed David a couple months ago. And Kim, you were blown away because you had almost the type of type of a story too. You had to share. So Kim, share that story. With Rebecca about you know of the of the of the challenges of saving a baby and things like that, and well, talk about that that it's a really good story, Kim, that you mentioned to David. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I have an adopted son too, by the way, Becky. I've got a son from the Dominican Republic. That that is a whole story all by itself. And then I have four biological kids, but my only daughter was raped by. Uh, a man from Nigeria, and uh, she got pregnant as a result of the rape. And she, the morning after the rape, she really thought about taking the pill. And she thought about it long and hard. And at that point in time, I didn't even know that she'd been raped, but she was afraid that she could have gotten pregnant and she decided not to take the pill. And then uh, she, has this beautiful baby girl who is now 15 and a half years old. She's a 4.0 student. She's brilliant. She's beautiful in every possible way. She's on color guard. She volunteers for things. She's just got a heart of gold and is going to change the world. And it's amazing how, uh, how God just takes something that is so crappy and turns it into something just so wonderful. Amen. Oh my goodness. You're going to make me cry. That is a beautiful story. It reminds me of a line in the movie where the best friend of David says, wow, if your mom had not made that decision to have you, I wouldn't have a best friend. And it's, it's this beautiful thing where you realize that that one decision, it will, your daughter's decision is affecting your life and so many others and probably her best friend's life, right? So we realize that one decision can then have this ripple effect on so many different lives in a positive and beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. And she wants to become a researcher, a medical researcher. And so who knows what this girl's going to discover, you know? That's I mean, beautiful. Good thing. So, yeah. So oh, thank playing, you for sharing that. yeah, so playing Susan, uh, you did a marvelous job, by the way, oh, and watching the documentary, I think you kind of nailed her, but, but it had to be emotional for you, 
like it, it was for her? Like how, how did your emotions play into it all? Yes, it was such an honor to play Susan. She is just like this ray of sunshine and, and it was such a beautiful, beautiful uh, spirit and soul. And um, I think what's so, what's so wonderful about playing this role is, you know, in, as an actress, you use something called substitution. So you use an emotion in your real life and then you kind of substitute it for whatever emotions happening in the storyline. Well, for me, I didn't have to go that far for substitution because I had emotions about the fear of loss and, and the fear of hope. Um, I think that the idea of sometimes it's scared to be hopeful again about the possibility. And I think with, with Susan in the movie, she was thinking, well, what if she changes her mind? What if she decides that she doesn't want me to be the birth mom? And, and so I, I can totally recognize and, and that resonates with me, that fear. Um, but I think God calls us to be hopeful. God calls us to be um, submissive and a part of the story, right? He. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.